Welcome to the PNW Peak Baggers podcast, where you get to hear from our members and learn more about climbing in the Pacific Northwest. I'm Bill Goodgen, your host and the founder of PNW Peak Baggers. And today's guest is Selena Eon. Selena, hi, how are you? Hi. Glad you're here. Uh, Selena is one of the leaders of PNW Peak Baggers and a moderator in our group, an underappreciated role for sure. <laughs> um, she grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Whenever she leaves, she's always excited to return to her home in Issaquah. I have that same feeling when I'm about to land into the Seattle or SeaTac airport. I always love it. Mm -hmm. She loves to study the human body, including physical, emotional, and mental health. She believes that the healthier we are in all of these areas, the more we can accomplish with joy and purpose. For work, she's a naturopathic doctor for the Puyallup tribe. Um, she loves to design and sew. I've seen some of her works. Um, she proudly displays on uh, her social media. Um, so those of you that follow her have probably seen that as well. Um, she's shown pieces and various fashion shows, including some unusual trash fashion pieces. So we might have to hear a little bit more about that later. <laughs> she uh, strongly believes in patching and repairing gear whenever possible. And as you might expect, um, since she's a member of PNW Peak Baggers, she loves the mountains, but not just peak bagging. She also loves trail bagging and lake bagging. I didn't know that those were official things, so we'll have to hear more about that too. So welcome, Selena. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks for you, doing this. You song. look good. You've got your PNW Peak Baggers uh, shirt on. Those that are listening to the podcast versus yeah. watching this on YouTube, unfortunately, can't see that. I always have to make it. Uh, there you go. If anyone wants to see what the unisex small looks like on a smallish woman, this is it. <laughs> thank, thank you for the merch plug. I always have, <laughs> nobody ever buys the merch, but I still make a, a plug for it um, all the time. So, uh, Selena, I want to start off with something that I've been thinking about for a while, and that is, what's your definition of a peak bagger? What does peak bagging mean to you, and what does that look like? Well, gosh, that's a good question. But I would say to me that being a peak bagger is uh, summit-focused. And that means that you are interested in collecting as many summits for your for yourself personally that you stand on the very actual top. Yeah. Now, do yeah. you do you see? Um, it's a, it's kind of funny the history of PW Peak Baggers. I, I personally, I was one of those people, even when I started the group, that thought peak bagging was sort of a derogatory term, and <laughs> and and in some ways that's. Uh, exactly why I started the group and named it the way that I did because I was trying to play kind of a, a different spin and a joke on what peak bagging was. Um, and for some, it, it it does take on a negative term. What what do you think about that? Do, have you ever had somebody say, "Oh God, you're a peak bagger," or <laughs> or uh, what? A, you know, peak baggers don't care about the uh, the um, the journey. They don't care about the environment. I've heard I've heard kind of all of that. And even the beginning and founding of the group, I think there was some reluctance from the true mountaineers and climbers to join because they didn't want to be perceived as a peak bagger. What do you think about that? 
Uh, I've definitely heard and seen that, but I just don't agree because you can decide what it means to you. And mountaineers and alpinists are going for summits too. They may not be logging them all on Peak Bagger and trying to get as many as possible like I am, but it doesn't really mean that it's a bad thing. Um, and it is definitely different from community to community. I remember one peak that I went up it was not an exciting peak by any means, and I was hiking out with uh, Leland Windham and my partner Max and we encountered this party of men with a wheelbarrow and all this stuff and they said greetings fellow public landowners what are you doing out here are you rock county we said we're peak beggars and they looked at us like this and so then we just kind of walked by and I thought you know they probably would ever seen that before <laughs> right they're like what the hell did she say a what bagger what, what are you people why aren't you rock hounding yeah exactly <laughs> oh, that's hilarious i yes. just love that anyone's outside having a good time yeah i mean i think that's kind of the thing like i and that's the premise of the group we don't really care what you call yourself call yourself a runner a hiker a climber yeah. a mountaineer an alpinist a peak bagger whatever we don't yep. care but the the thing is the focus is peak oriented right it's getting to the summit of a peak um, not at all cost, and nobody's implying that by any means, but certainly there are a lot of people in the group, I would probably include myself in that, where I'll climb something just to climb it, just because it's something I haven't done before, even if it's not the most exciting peak. And I'm sure you'll have quite a few of those that you'll want to talk about today. So uh, oh, yeah. how did you start? <laughs> like, what got you into, um, I mean, normally... I don't know if you listened to my conversation with Ed last week. I said, normally people start by hiking. And Ed said, no, I started by fishing. And I just saw a peak off to the, of course, that's Ed. Uh, uh, maybe you started from sewing and decided <laughs> to climb no. peaks. What happened? How, how, how did you get into this? Well, so I actually grew up from a family that did a lot of hiking and backpacking near the Mountain Loop Highway. And so that we helps. did definitely go on some hikes. We did a yearly backpacking trip. My family carefully avoided snow at all costs. Uh, I went to the ice caves back when it was totally cool to go in the ice caves and sled back there. <laughs> I just saw a you post know. about how dangerous that is today about Right. Uh, you know, they've had some recent problems with the collapsing at the. That was like 40 plus years ago. I'm talking about now. I definitely have been in the ice caves, um, different scenarios. So, so that was my start was just all of the family backpacking hikes. I remember when I was 16 and I got my driver's license. Do you remember those brick phones in the mid nineties? Oh, yeah. One of my I brothers and I. Of mine. I thought it was really, I was really impressed. Uh, impressive to have one and they're, really they were, cool businessman <laughs> they were so my mom said take this to the top of mount pilchuck and see if you can call me from it oh, so my wow. brother and i did uh my 82 buick drove up the road i think it was a lot better back in probably 1994 uh and we climbed up mount pilchuck called my mom from that phone she was as excited as could it worked. be Wow. It worked. Yeah. My mom used to ski up there. So she was real familiar with that area back when Pilchuk was a ski resort. Oh yeah. A lot of people don't know that and aren't, aren't familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. She, so when did, do you remember so when they, a Porsche. Oh, get out. do you remember yeah. when they shut that ski resort? I mean, not you personally, but I mean, do you remember what you, I don't remember what year that was. It was a fifties, right? Or si late, late fifties. No, my, no, it was later than that. It was my mom 
graduated from high school in 69 and she okay. was still going up there and skiing and she lived in Granite Falls in the 70s. So I don't think it was really that long ago as far as that's concerned. That's probably why the road, you could find bits of pavement there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So anyway, I was lucky to grow up with that kind of family. And then well, when I went to college. One. That's peak number one for you was Pilchop. That was Smoot number one. That's great. <laughs> Smoot peak number one. 19... <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into at that point. But yeah, 1994 or so. Although I think I'd been up there before when I was younger. But that's the first time I remember. And that's what I logged in Peak Beggar. Wow. That's great. So fast forward to now. How many unique peaks have you climbed? You're pretty good at keeping track. I track on Peak Beggar and I've got, um, I'd have to pull it up and look, but I'm getting close to 750 of them. Most of them are in Washington state. And I know how many P2Ks I have because my next one will be number, number 100. And I think I've climbed 23 ultra prominent peaks in the Western Explain half of the US. Explain that for people who aren't familiar with that, that are listening in or wa watching on YouTube. Yeah. So for those of us who are the, maybe the more nerdy end of pink pegging, <laughs> uh, uh, we can catalog them by lists. And also there's other parameters. So people might categorize them by volcanoes or how tall they are. But in this case, it's by prominence. And prominence is a measure of how tall a mountain is compared to the other ones around it. So it'll be what's the lowest spot between two peaks. So an ultra like Mount Rainier has a ton of prominence because the next tallest mountain is a long ways away <clears throat> or something like uh, Mount Olympus, the prominence is going to be almost the height of Mount Olympus because the next tallest mountain is the like sea level away from it. So P2Ks are kind of cool because they, uh, if assuming they are not treed at the top, uh, should have a pretty spectacular view because they stand higher among the other peaks that are surrounding them. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for uh, clarifying, explaining that for everyone. What yeah. can you pick out? I, I know nobody, well, it's hard to, at least for a lot of people say their favorite climb or their favorite peak, but maybe can you talk about a couple of your most memorable um, ones that really stand out of like, wow, that was, that was super amazing. That's an experience I'll never forget. Yeah, well, I have quite a few, but one <laughs> well, I mean, you have that... 700. Yeah, there are quite a few, I'm sure. Yeah, and I'd spent a little time kind of thinking about this. And one that was a really big bucket list for me was Mount Challenger. Because uh, coming from hiking and backpacking, and when I started mountaineering or trying to learn to mountaineer and hike, I used to weigh like 200 pounds. So I had a huge fitness journey to be able to summit a peak. Oh. And I remember a number of times where I would say, I'd like to do this. And the people that I knew would say, oh, you'd never be able to do that. So Challenger was definitely one of those. I'd been told many times I would never be able to climb peaks in the pickets. And I sure have. Uh, so in, I think, July of 2021, Max and I climbed Mount Challenger. And it's just an epic location. It's a challenging approach. It was it's a really spectacular peak. So you have a hard approach with some fourth class type climbing. You've got route finding, you have glacier travel across the Challenger Glacier, and then it finishes off with a fifth class rock climb to the top. And 
I was so excited to be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. only for the personal accomplishment, but this, the, oh, the beauty. Of exactly. Places. Yeah. And probably second place or maybe closely tied would be the trip I took up Forbidden Peak. And that was the, with the late Jake Robinson, my, my now uh, deceased partner. It was his last of the Bulger Peaks, which are a hundred relatively tall peaks in the state, not necessarily the tallest ones. And he'd saved Forbidden for the last one. And I'll never forget just his face when he made it onto the summit. If you'd ever seen just pure joy and accomplishment, that and was he was probably face. logging it right into Peak Bagger while he was up there. <laughs> yes, actually, he definitely logged it into Peak Bagger while we were up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah what um can i can i go back to when you talked about um people telling you that you couldn't do this um so I, there's a couple things i want to ask you about that so one was so you talked about being overweight and having to overcome that and you know improving your fitness and the impression from other or perception from other people. But I also want to ask you about um, as a woman climber and, uh, you know, how, how you were met and welcomed into the mountaineering community as well. So maybe let's start with the fitness side and how, how, did, how did that journey look for you? How did you kind of progress in your endurance and progress in your fitness and improve upon your skills in order to get to a place where you didn't maybe you just didn't give a shit about what people said and you just kept pushing through but a lot of times that that's painful it's it's difficult to hear people doubt you it's difficult to hear people think that you can't do it and they're not behind you don't feel like they're behind you and have your back yeah well you know, I did grow up hiking and backpacking, but what I could do then would have been like six miles, 2000 gain in a day. And I do mean back in the external frame backpacks, hiking in Doc Martens and jeans kind of days. I was going to say jean shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was a big day for me and I would be absolutely exhausted and I had trouble really enjoying it. Uh, so then I had a, a significant health journey too. And when I finally was able to untangle my health and start to feel better, I really wanted to also improve my fitness. So I, um, I, I spent a lot of time actually pushing my kids in jogging strollers when they were little, my kids are now um, 18 and 27. Did they enjoy uh, so it? I, I mean, were they, uh, <laughs> were reluctant yeah, participants? My kids loved it. Oh, they did. Good. No, my kids loved the jogging stroller and then they loved the baby backpack. They hung out in that baby backpack with me hiking until they could kick me in the knees, which is about like 45 pounds. And then I learned my kids don't like hiking if they have to walk. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that is what I did. I pushed jogging strollers. I went to Bridal Trail State Park. I hiked up and down every hill in my neighborhood that I could. <clears throat> I remember the first time I went to Poo Poo Point, I was sore for a week. I was so, so miserable. Uh, and I just kept working on it because I felt better hi outside hiking than I did in the gym. I did have a, a YMCA membership, but I just struggled to, to do it. I would be on the stair climber and I would lift weights and I would do stuff, but it didn't resonate me. And I could be outside in the rain and terrible weather and feel pretty happy. So as I got better and better, I made it 
finally up to the top of Tiger, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and probably, I don't know, around maybe the late 2008, 9, 10 kind of range. By then, I had really accumulated some pretty good fitness. And that's so you've been at I it for a that... while. You've been at it for a while. I mean, this oh, was yeah. not like an instantly overnight that you were able to start doing this. I think, no. I think some of the people that are in our group, I actually ran into some folks. I was on a hike uh, last week and I ran into some fight uh, folks and they were talking about, well, I just, I don't feel like I, um, uh, am climbing hard enough peaks to be in the group. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Any, any peak matters to us. Anybody can be in the group. It doesn't, you know, we're not a group of elitists who are saying that you have to focus on any type of peak. Um, and I think that was surprising for her to hear from me. So, and even someone like you, I mean, obviously you post regularly in the group and are accomplishing some pretty impressive things um, at this point in, in your climbing career. People would be surprised to hear that you were struggling up poo poo point and, and it took it years for you to get to a point where you were focused yeah. on these more challenging and difficult mountains probably about 10 years of building up my fitness to where it felt like hiking up Mount Sai was pretty good uh, I remember the first time I decided I was going to try to go on a trail run I went to Cougar Mountain and I probably didn't run any of my three or four miles because I just couldn't but now I can go and run an ultra I went and ran an ultra Rainier just for fun last month and I was able to run almost all of it until my foot hurt but that, I'm talking about a 20-year gap of really yeah. working on it, and I think it's just consistency that really matters. I don't. There, I there are people who can come off the couch and somehow climb these big peaks, and I don't get it. It happens with rock climbing too. The first time I went to a rock climbing gym, I might have made it up a five six. I was scared. I remember screaming when people tried to lower me with the rope. <laughs> uh, it took me about three years to successfully climb up a five eight route in the gym. Yeah. That's great. I love hearing that. And thank you for sharing that. Um, let me, add, um, if I can go back to the question about uh, being uh, a female climber and in the mountaineering community, especially, I think today it's a lot more inclusive. We have a long, long way to go. But um, certainly when you started um, did you feel that? Did you feel like you were stepping in the boys club and, why are you here? Did you feel any of that? Um, Probably less than other people would imagine. I found that the men that I climbed with were actually really cool about it. And most of the concern I had on it came from my internal self-talk and it wasn't actually what was there. It was me thinking that as a woman, somehow I was going to be less accomplished, less able than those men. And it's not true. Now we're going to have different abilities. Men are naturally going to be a lot stronger than me. I'm not a large person. They can probably carry a bigger backpack, but I bring other things to the table. And I, I had a lot of anxiety on some of my first bigger peaks, especially with like Jake and Eric Eames and Fletcher and all those guys. I remember my first trip with them. I think we climbed Mount Blum, which is an epic day in the winter, like 8,000 gain on snowshoes. And I thought, there's no way I could do this. I'm going to ruin the trip for everybody. And I remember Jake looked at me and he said, that's that's not really what's going to happen. You you might be in the back while we all break trail, but that's totally cool. You can send this. Yeah. And he, he was totally right. I 
broke zero trail. <laughs> Eric Eames broke basically all the trail the whole way up because he's amazing. And, uh, you know, after that, I just started to calm down about it. Can, can I do necessarily everyone, everything that everyone else can? I can't, but I have other skills. And that's what part of mountaineering parties is, is that you put your skills together. I'm a great navigator. I have great medical knowledge. I know what plants to eat in the forest. I, there's a lot of things that I can do that many of my other partners can't. And I, I think many women are worried about being out with men. And if that's the case, maybe they're not, not the right men. Ah, well said. Well said. So uh, I think I know the answer to this already before I ask the question. But uh, who is your most uh, who's who is most influential in your peak bagging journey? Your mentor someone you looked up to and admired? Well, you know, maybe that's, gosh, that could be so many people, but maybe it would be the person who brought me on my very first scrambles and first rock climb. And that man's name is Ed. And in some of the old Exit 38 guidebooks, you'll see pictures of him. Uh, it was a rainy day. I was hiking the Malakwa Lake. I was in the parking lot. There was one other car in the parking lot and it was Ed. He just said, you know, do you want to hike with me? And I thought, I don't know this guy. He said, I'm a firefighter. I'm an EMT. I'm not going to hurt you. We're just going to leapfrog back and forth anyway. We may as well just hike together. I said, well, okay. Uh, and that day we ended up going most of the way up Kaliton in November with snow and rain, terrible weather. And I hadn't thought that I would be able to even do that. Right. From and, a distance, Kaliton is really intimidating looking. I mean, it's quite different once you get right onto it. But from a distance, you're like, no way can I climb that. Everybody probably thinks that the first time they go there. Yeah. And I'd never scrambled a peak before. My family wanted to be on the trail all the time. And I'd just been <laughs> building my fitness for trail and backpacking. And he's just like, well, just come. I think it'll be fine. And <laughs> he was right. He got me up the tooth with relatively soon afterwards. And oh, great. Yeah, he never talked down to me. He always just said, well, you can probably do this. When we climbed the tooth, I didn't even know how to belay. He climbed up it with a rope tied around his waist and then belayed me up. He just freezed so long. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't recommend this, but no. I'm just saying that sometimes a little dis get... the little disclaimer here. <laughs> we'll yeah. put that down in the uh, closed caption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that was just like the first thing and just having someone there that just said, you know, you might not have thought you could do this, but you definitely can. That planted a seed. And I didn't let anybody tell me that I couldn't after that. The, the in inferiority complex that I had after that was really all mine. Yeah. Yeah, great. So uh, we've talked about all the good side uh, of climbing. And um, what's a uh, what's a peak you have absolutely no interest in ever doing again was a terrible experience? Maybe I shouldn't ask that because I know it'll stop people from wanting to climb it. But <laughs> um, I don't think there are any that have been so terrible I wouldn't climb again. And that's probably not great because I've been a lot of places that were pretty dangerous. <laughs> um, but there's a, a teacher in all those experiences. Yeah, um, sure. yeah. And a lot of it, I think, is timing. So people talk about, oh, this horrible choss pile. Well, if you time it where there's snow over all that choss, it could be an amazing trip. So, yeah. yeah. But have I done some really miserable bushwhacks where it's not very fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> you'd be lying if you said otherwise 
Yeah, yeah no, no, it is actually a really interesting point that you bring up because of the weather conditions or other conditions, you know, um, make a climb type two or type three often. It's not just the peak yeah. itself. And or yeah. unfortunately, sometimes the company that you're with can influence how you feel about a climb too. Um, yeah. So while you might want to do the peak again, you may just select someone else to go with. Yeah. Um, I mean, one that I might be afraid to try again. I knew you'd get around up... to one of them. <laughs> well, so Jake and Fletcher and I's last trip together before Jake died was we climbed the bear's breast uh, right on the cascade crest, not too far from chimney rock and Lima and all those. And we selected a route up from Dutch Miller gap and uh, you can look up Fletcher's trip report on Northwest Hikers if you want to see some sketchy pictures. But that day, I have to say that once we got onto the peak, I was afraid the entire day. We got wow. to the point where we looked at the summit block and I I noped out. I said, nope, I'm not going to do that. And Jacob Fletcher looked at me and they're like, you made it all the way here. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's tough when you're afraid, when you're afraid, when you're downright yeah. scared and having yeah. to push through that. Yeah, and it's, it finishes out at maybe like five, seven-ish. I remember one of the old pitons we clipped, I could spin it with my finger, but there was nowhere to place gear. I know. It wasn't like it was hard climbing right there, but it was, yeah. So I, there's another route at Bear's Breast, so no one needs to climb this particular route. You could take the mega slabs instead, but that was probably the most afraid I've been, and yet we sent it. It turned out to be a really lovely day. There is some cool stuff to be found there cool views but yeah don't you always love it when you climb something only to find out later from someone else that you climb the complete completely wrong route and they're like well you know if you would have done this it would have been a whole lot of oh well <laughs> well we knew about the mega slab route and i'm not sure why the why jake and fletcher picked that route but they definitely enjoyed a challenge and and so do i but we've just got different ceilings for where that challenge lies sure your tolerance levels were quite different yeah. what what it uh what is it about being in the mountains that you love the most i think i love how every trip is something new even if you're climbing a mountain you've been to many times your experience is not the same mm -hmm. each day although as a peak beggar i do like to go to a lot of new places and i love one of my favorite games is to be on a peak that i haven't been to but that i've looked at from other peaks and then oh, get yeah. to look back at the peaks <laughs> i've climbed from that peak and yeah. name them all yeah that's a fun game uh, and the physical challenge too especially coming from where i did physically it's it's pretty sweet to be able to go and run up West Tiger three and actually run up the trail now. Yeah. Um, uh, it, even just something like that can bring me a lot of joy and I love to be on peaks and have it be, you know, you're kind of like what you're talking about earlier, how you're just there to bag the peak and there, it can be reductionist to some people. I enjoy having that trip be challenging, but also fun at the same time. And I can find it, some joy in a terrible bushwhack in Choss everywhere, you will probably find me laughing. The more miserable it is, the more I'm going to be laughing my way up that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, for me, um, you know, I, I'm such a social, social person that I, I don't do a lot of solo uh, climbing um, because I really want to be out 
out there with people. That's the yeah. part of the joy for me. Obviously, it's the beauty um, is probably the n- number one thing. And um, but it's it's not necessarily the solitude because I like to be with people. I like to learn about them. I like being uh, uh, sharing in that experience with other people. It, it creates a bond and a friendship uh, amongst yeah. you know people that you just can't get in any other environment it's very very difficult to replicate you know when you're 15 hours into a push with someone and you know well you know you know that have you heard the the, the the phrase the art of the micro talk so i feel like mountaineering trips are the art of the micro talk because you're with each other all day you're not talking the whole the whole day <laughs> but you get little snippets throughout the day where you really get to know them and you get to see them and experience oh, them it. The art yeah. of the micro talk. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to look that up. Um, so t- today is a really good example of a day where maybe you would enjoy going out and pounding rain. It was raining sideways today. It was raining all day. It was crazy for the Pacific Northwest. That's kind of unusual. Yeah. What, what do you do when you're not in, in the mountains to stay in shape? What's kind of your go-to exercise routine? Well, I live in Issaquah, so I'm surrounded by trails, so I actually do go out in most weather. Um, But raining buckets, not really, but just normal rain. What I think the important thing about going out and running or hiking in the rain is figuring out how long you can be out before you get uncomfortable. So I have about a 90-minute timer of getting wet. Uh, So I want to be up that peak and down in about 90 minutes or around the trail or whatever. So that way it's before I get hypothermic, cold, and miserable, and it's in my happy zone. So other Mm -hmm. people might have a different tolerance. Uh, I also like to practice hot yoga and climb in the gym. And I I did just buy a a mountain bike. I am a terrible cyclist, but I I enjoy doing that on days where I really don't want to get in my car from my apartment. I'll just hop on my bike and I can bike up to Preston or that kind of thing. Oh, great. Well, we'll have to get out and mountain bike together. Um, I I love mountain biking and I've been mountain biking, you know, for 30 plus years. I raced mountain bikes too. So, oh, wow. um, I'm I'm, terrible at it. I thought that I'd be able to bike up any hill I can run, but definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a different skill set. That's for sure. Uh, This is something I'm always very interested in um, because I never seem to be satisfied with my own nutrition when I'm in the mountains. Like what's your kind of pre-nutrition during and post what what do you do to and and of course you mentioned earlier sort of dialing in your health was a big issue for you and you've had some struggles so that maybe you can talk a little bit about that at the same time yeah well as a doctor I also have a degree in exercise science and nutrition so um you know a little bit about this I do and so I actually eat pretty much like I normally do before and after climbs although I might be hungry and eat extra food but I really focus on a good quality diet most of the time and since I focus on really eating well and plenty of protein vegetables fruits nuts seeds just a wide variety of foods most of the time when I'm on climbs I'm often not eating as well Um, if I'm backpacking I do make a lot of my own uh, backpacking meals because I have some special dietary needs and it's easier to make my own but you'll probably find you really focused on whole foods on your climbing also you're not taking you know, gels and bars and 
supplements as much as as I, I just want to eat the same stuff I normally eat and just stay focused on being healthy? Yeah, well, what I've been really enjoying to do lately is actually carrying things like olives and salami and cheese and crackers and heating those on summits, like summit charcuterie. Usually there's a cool rock. <laughs> you can lay it all out. <laughs> I know it sounds funny. Uh, but I like to do that. Uh, sometimes I'll even carry fruit. I remember once I brought a bunch of cherries and that led to a bear uh, problem. <clears throat> bear was at, literally on my ursac with its claws in it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Smart That's, bear. It's like something's uh, in here scary. that I want. But it was my cherry pits. Yeah. But I will eat protein bars. Um, but I try to pack regular food. I eat a lot of gummy bears too. Gummy bears and sour gummy worms. That's not whole food. That's for sure. No, no, because it That's depends on what you're doing. There. Yeah. If you're, if you're staying at a low level, really, I often won't eat that much. So if I'm staying in my aerobic zone, I could really go for 10 or 15 miles and not really need food. Uh, no problem. But then I will need real food and I'll need to stop and eat food. If I want to go consistently, then I have played around with tailwind, a bunch of that other stuff for really long runs. Because I sometimes like to go run like 20 or 25 miles uh, and stuff like that helps. But I'm not good at eating on those trips. And often I, when I get done, I am just ravenously hungry. So I've, I have been bringing a cooler with salads and healthy food. So I get back to my car, I've got my chair, I've got my cooler and I'll sit and eat a proper dinner or lunch or whatever and then i'll drive home yeah wow i am amazed by people who can go hours without eating you know exactly the opposite i'm my wife she used to be an ultra runner and i remember she did an ultra marathon basically ate like a handful of nuts and that was it the whole entire you know 50k that she ran yep and for me i'm one of those people i'm like I need 200 calories every hour. Like I, I'm super focused on like getting the caloric intake and, you know, I do that in order to do that and not carry a ton of weight. I, you know, I'll, I'll mix some kind of nutritional supplement in my drink. That's just the easiest way for me to do it. Otherwise right. I would have 50 pounds of <laughs> protein bars in my pack, which wouldn't help me. And it would um, slow you down while you digest it. So this is one of the things I talk with patients and it's about figuring out your instruction manual. And there's no one right way to eat on climbs. Yeah. People need to figure out what works for them. And whenever there's a discussion like that in the group, you'll see there's all these different answers and they all are right for those people. Exactly, exactly. Is there something uh, special that you take with you um, in the mountains? I asked uh, Ed that on our last episode like yeah. I have, uh, I have bracelets that are, you know, I, if I forget them at ho home, you know, I would turn around and come back and get them. I also have sort of a special rock that I take with me that reminds me of a, a, a friend. Um, is there anything special that you bring along or a, a piece of gear that you have to have? Oh, well, my, my 10 essentials emergency kit always goes with me if I'm out for other than just here in the Isaqua Alps, but I've got just the bare minimum of what I need. My first aid kit, surprisingly, is mostly a bunch of pills. I carry antibiotics and everything else. But uh, as long as it's more than just a regular little trail run, I go nowhere without that little zip sack of my essentials. I've got a mini compass. I've got water purification. I have matches. I have the headlamp. I've got my little first aid kit. I have a knife. Uh, not a couple few other things, but I would never go anywhere without it. Yeah, great. So, yeah. Uh, what what do you like most about being in PNW Peak Baggers and 
God almighty, why would you continue to agree to <laughs> help me with being a moderator and the leadership of the group? That's not always fun, but I'm very appreciative of it. And you've helped me a lot in, in that role. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you're right. It's not always fun, but most of it is that I, I really enjoy people and I've spent a lot of time studying people and I work with people all day too. And so for me, it's a kind of an interesting exercise to make sure that I'm fair and consistent. And, you know, there are some decisions we have to make where everyone is going to be unhappy no matter what. Yeah. And so I think that that's really good practice for life in general, because you're never going to do something that everybody likes. Sure. Uh, but my favorite part of the group has been all the people that I've met. Some of my favorite climbing partners I have met through Peak Beggars. I've climbed like Goody with someone I met there. I've uh, I've climbed some big mountains with people I initially met through the group. Yeah, and I love I love hearing that, and I hear that a lot from people. And a lot of them were women. Most of my best partners from the group are women, and yeah, yeah, because we have found each other, and we're like, do you want to climb this big scary mountain together? We're like, hell yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we go. I, and I think you probably are. Um, I, I wear a peak baggers hat everywhere I go, like all over the place. So, you know, people ask me about it all the time and you wear your PNW yep. peak baggers beanie all the time. So that's an easy way to yeah. start up a, a friendly conversation. About people the group. do know who I am. It's <laughs> interesting. I have one hiking friend who's not on Facebook and he, he just is laughing because he says, everywhere we go, somebody knows you. And he's <laughs> right. right. They're often not people that I know, but it's super cool to meet them and hear about things. So a lot of people lurk and they feel like they're not good enough to post or say anything. And I always make a point to dissuade them of that thought as much as possible, because I want to see rep trip reports from a wide variety of peaks. Sometimes it's not that I care about that peak because I've already been there, but maybe there's some current conditions info that applies to their peaks nearby. Yeah. So I, I love getting to talk to people about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I always tell people that if you're proud about it, we want to be proud with you. We want to celebrate yeah. that with you. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. Um, we're about all peaks. And I, I was scared the first time I went up Putrid Peeps Peak. I almost cried. It was steep <laughs> and I was scared and I've been there. No one needs yeah. to impress me with something big and scary. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I mean, I can really relate to it again as I'm starting over and recovering from an injury. Like every little small step uh, means so much to me right now. Um, I can't wait to get to the bigger and more difficult things, but I'll take what I can take right now. So I'm pretty excited about it. You just have Selena, the body that you have right now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we ha everyone has this persona on social media. And tell us something um, that we don't know about you, uh, that people that follow you on social media, what, that they, they wouldn't know. Something interesting and different. Mm, well other than I the see. trash pieces of fashion maybe <laughs> maybe that's it I have a lot of wide-ranging interests and I probably haven't shared my trash fashion online that much because <laughs> a lot of it was pre-social media yeah I, I've made an outfit out of yoga mats out of balloons out of dryer lint out of <laughs> produce mesh um 
upholstery samples and I used to show them in fashion shows. Yeah. That so sounds like, that well, sounds like a whole episode in itself that we'll have to say. I applied for, for Project <laughs> Runway. I didn't get on. Yeah. You you <laughs> sing though too a lot. What 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 what's that about? What well, I'm a band nerd. I'm a high school band nerd. I was in jazz band, marching band, concert band. I played a number of instruments. And then I had a period where I was literally living out of my car with nothing. And I ended up not with any instruments anymore. But I do possess an instrument that is me. So um, I sing songs. I like to sing while I hike. Uh Singing while you hike is a good way to make sure you don't go up too high of a level to be sustainable. So if you're trying to learn to do like zone one to zone two, if you can kind of sing while you do it, you're there. So uh, I love boy. to do that. Nobody wants me to be doing that while we're hiking. <laughs> you don't have to be good at it, though. Art is not about being good at it. Art is about how you feel about it. So yeah. I love to do that. And I like to sing on my Instagram and Facebook stories too. Mostly it's just because it gets over the fear of having to be good at something. So I enjoy to just to go for it. Yeah. Make some yeah. music. Yeah. That's great. I love it. Go for it. So yeah. your uh, parting piece of wisdom for those who are just getting started in their peak bagging journey, what, what, what would you tell somebody who, maybe is just starting off and they're making the transition from hiking or whatever sport to now I'm focused on climbing peaks. I would encourage people to be patient just because you see other people doing things doesn't mean that you're going to be comfortable with them. And a lot of the skills in mountaineering are gradual. I'm afraid of heights and yet I've climbed a lot of big roped climb mountains now uh, I didn't start out fit, but yes, I have great fitness now. You just need to be patient with the body you have, the brain that you have, and you might find that certain aspects of climbing aren't for you, and that's cool. Maybe you just like to hike up trails. Maybe you like simple scrambles. Maybe you want to rope up and actually climb a mountain with gear. All of them count as peak bagging. It needs to be what you feel comfortable with, and if you ever feel like it's taking you too long, remember that it took me... 20 years at this point to be where I am now. Yeah, that's great advice. That's really, really good advice. So people don't want to follow you on social media, but uh, where do they find you? Yeah, so I do have some. Um, what I do post on the most often are probably stories just because that's easy. And I started that for work to teach patients how to know, like, and trust me as a human being and just to not be fake and be real. So that's at Dr. Selena Eon on Instagram. I believe that's also my handle on Facebook. And I post the same things on those two. And that's not my personal page. That's my work page. Uh, and I also, I love Strava. So if you Strava, find me on there. I, I love to, it's a super way to get current conditions, see what people are up to, find new routes. I am um, a huge stalker on Strava. I don't, I, I go through episodes where I post a lot on there and then I went off of Strava, but I am definitely a stalker. I watch people on there all the time. I love it for tracking. I think I'm on track for my seventh year above 500,000 verts. So, oh you know. Yeah. yeah, I've done a lot of more like 700,000 years, um, but I'm healing from a shoulder thing. So, but I think I can still get my 600,000 before the end of the year. So if anyone wants me to follow, wants to follow me on Strava and see if I make it oh, by December 31st, please do. Well, that's impressive. Well, 
Dr. Selena Eon, thank you for joining us today. It's been uh, a lot of fun talking to you. I always enjoy that. And thank you again for all your help with the group. For those listening, thank you. Um, if you're not already doing so, make sure and join our Facebook group. That's where you get a chance to meet people like Selena and other climbers and learn more about climbing in the Pacific Northwest. It's a great opportunity to connect and improve your skills, meet some new climbing partners. You can also find us on other social platforms. I think we're just about everywhere you need us to be, including we just started Reddit. Um, someone encouraged me to open up Reddit. We we do have a uh, Strava group. There are five, 600 people in that Strava group also. Um, and also make sure and check out our website. Our we website has some content that you're not going to find anywhere else. And of course, the merch that I'm always uh, promoting. So thanks again uh, for everyone listening in and we hope to see you out in the mountains. Bye, Celia. Bye.